Welcome once again to Lato's Law. Here's Steve Lato. Carol Shelby was a very, very cool guy, a car guy. He raced him, he built him. Very, very well known in the racing and, and automobile community, uh, and a very, very cool guy. And uh, his estate has been involved in a legal battle. And this story was sent to me by too many people to count over a car called Eleanor. Uh, and that battle is finally over, and Shelby won. He, he, his estate won the battle. And leading up this, there have been some crazy things going on in this particular arena with respect to another estate claiming to own the rights to what Eleanor looked like. And this is a car. So uh, from Business Wire, for what has been a decade-long battle between the Shelby Trust, which is the owner of the Shelby Trademarks, and trade dress relating to internationally known and respected Shelby vehicles, and Denise Halicki, who is the surviving spouse of H.B. Toby Halicki. Halicki was the producer of the 1974 Gone in 60 Seconds film, along with a couple others. The U.S. District Court for the Central District of California has finally and decisively placed Shelby in the driver's seat. So those two entities were fighting over something. But this fight had actually gone back and involved other people as well. So it has to do with Mustangs codenamed Eleanor, which appeared in each of Mr. Halicki's Gone in 60 Seconds and Deadline Auto Theft films. And one of the beat-up yellow and black prop cars from Gone in 60 Seconds was also shown in the movie The Junk Man. In the 2000 Hollywood Pictures remake of Gone in 60 Seconds, the codename Eleanor was used to refer to rare Shelby GT500 cars, one of which was gray and black, and the other of which was rusted and paintless. Okay, So Gone in 60 Seconds um, is probably best described as a cult film. It was not a big budget film by any means, but uh, based on uh, how it was put together and how well it did later, I think they got their money back, the producers did. But um, it involved some of the best chase sequences ever shot. So if you're into car chases, and by the way, there's a whole genre of movies involving car chases back in the day. Bullet, Dirty Mary, Crazy Larry, Gone in 60 Seconds. So these, uh, Vanishing Point, these movies uh, really, really glorified the idea of the car chase as, as being the pivotal dramatic moment in the movie. So Gone in 60 Seconds involved a whole bunch of cars, okay? But Eleanor was one car in particular. So Mrs. Halicki claimed that all of the cars referred to as Eleanor appearing across four movies basically boiled down to a single character for which she held the copyright and that her purported character copyright would somehow then prohibit the Shelby Trust from licensing other people and companies to manufacture, sell, or auction off Shelby GT500s. And keep in mind that underneath all of this is simply a Ford automobile. And she's claiming that she actually owns the rights to the car looking like that. So she went so far as to sue and or threaten to sue manufacturers, customers, and auction houses that were dealing with GT500s, claiming their cars violated her alleged copyright interests in a purported Eleanor character because they looked like the gray and black Eleanor car from the 2000 Hollywood Pictures remake, which was not that good, by the way. But <laughs> the Shelby Trust was thus forced 
to sue to protect its licensees and loyal Shelby GT500 owners. Now, her longstanding practice of trying to extract money from Shelby GT500 manufacturers and car owners based on this copyright claim is now at an end as the U.S. District Court of the Central District, California, has decisively ruled that the Eleanor code-named vehicles shown in Gone in 60 Seconds, the Junkman, and Deadline Auto Theft are not deserving of character copyright protection. So if you think about it, you think of some character, James Bond. If you decided to make a movie and you've got a character, James Bond, and he's a secret agent, he's got a British accent and all kinds of cool gizmos he uses to, uh, to fight international crime and, and get it on with the ladies, uh, you might run afoul of the people who own the rights to James Bond. <laughs> you might. I, <laughs> it seems to me that there are actual rules protecting that. The question is, is Eleanor a car? Is the car a character like James Bond? Uh, the court, in a meticulous 41-page opinion, criticized Mrs. Halicki and her counsel for misleading prior courts through their unfortunate practice of embellishing facts in their briefing and causing factual inaccuracies to make their way into a Ninth Circuit opinion that likely assumed the facts were true when they were not. Based on its independent review of the movies in question, the court found various of Mrs. Halicki's and her counsel's representations about the movies to be plainly false or an embellishment, to say the least. So, her attorneys, on her behalf, made arguments about what these cars were and did in these movies. And the court said, okay, let's go watch the movies. Roll film. So they actually went and watched the movies and said, um, you guys described stuff in your brief that aren't in the movies. Uh, that's not right. In yet another example of the court's criticism of Mrs. Halicki and her counsel, the court stated that the Halicki parties assign anthropomorphic characteristics to the Eleanor character, such as strength, talent, endurance, and a tendency to always save her leading man. <laughs> Anthropomorphic characteristics is when we project human characteristics on a non-human entity. So if I told you this microphone loves me, I can tell this microphone waits for me in the morning. It loves me and it treats me differently than it would treat you because my mic loves me. And I can tell, I can tell. Uh, that'd be anthropomorphizing the microphone, which would be silly. In the court's view, these characteristics are an invention of overzealous advocacy. And so the court is saying, hey, look, you know, those movies may be good, but, but that car wasn't a character. Meanwhile, Neil Cummings, who's the co-trustee of the Shelby Trust, who has overseen the entire process, stated that he's very pleased with the court's decision and happy for all Shelby customers and the Shelby legacy. We can finally tell all of our important licensees and Shelby GT500 owners that Mrs. Halicki has absolutely no right to complain about or file a lawsuit based upon the looks of any car licensed by the Shelby Trust. That is exactly why we had to go to the extreme time and expense of pursuing our claims against her in court. The true value of all Shelby GT500s is now secure with this news. In case you're wondering, Carol Shelby International has two wholly owned subsidiaries, Shelby American Inc., and Carroll Shelby Licensing, called the Shelby Companies. Together, the Shelby Companies are engaged in the manufacturing and marketing of performance vehicles and related accessories worldwide, as well as the licensing of the Shelby brand 
to third parties in connection with various products, including vehicles, memorabilia, video games, models, toys, branded apparel, styling, and performance parts. And by the way, you know, again, I will admit I was not a big fan of any of those movies. I, I saw the original Gone in 60 Seconds, the old one. Uh, the remake did nothing for me. But the old one was kind of interesting to watch because it was a slice of history and the whole story behind how the guy made the movie and all that stuff is pretty cool. It is pretty cool. But to suggest that the car from being in the movie is now a character and you can't build a car to look like that is absurd. Uh, and it's absurd for a variety of reasons, not the least of which is that there are other cars out there that are much more well-known that had no such protection. And I can immediately think of several, including the General Lee from Dukes of Hazard, where you look at that car and go, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, the, 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 the orange 69 Dodge Charger with the uh, wacky front bumper uh, and uh, the flag on the roof and it says General Lee up there. That is a very well-known recognizable car. And yet people make those cars all the time, tribute cars. You get a 69 Dodge Charger, you tear off the vinyl top, unfortunately, and you paint the whole car orange. And then, uh, you know, you put the front bumper on and you call it the General Lee. And, you know, that's a very, very well-known car. To suggest that the Eleanor car in these movies is that important of a character to begin with is a bit absurd. I think actually a better example of one would be the Batmobile. And we pointed at that before. But you'll recall that the Batmobile also exists in several other uh, venues. Uh, meaning that there was a Batmobile that was on the television show, okay? And George Barris made that car and got it to the show. And then George Barris made a few more. And then the other guy, Fiberglass Freaks, I've talked about him before, was was building uh, licensed copies of that car. I do believe that somewhere along the line, there was somebody who built an unauthorized copy. And they actually got in trouble where the people who hold the, 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 all the various marks on that car said you can't do that because that car is so identifiable and unique. And there's a huge difference because there's a whole story behind how George Barris got the, the show car that became the Batmobile. It was, it was a Ford show car. Uh, but there's no question that the car was so heavily modified that when that car was on TV for the first time, it was unique. I mean, it, it wasn't just a Ford Mustang with a cool paint job and nice wheels, okay? It was unique. And, and so I think that that would make more sense for the Batmobile to get that kind of protection. But then again, I can also tell you that when Fiberglass Freak started building his copies, he didn't have permission to do it. And they sent someone down to a shop to see what he was doing. And when they saw what he was doing, they actually called their bosses and said, hey, this guy's making such good copies. We should just work with him and have him build the licensed replicas, and we can all make some money off this. And so that's what they did in that case. But with respect to Eleanor and the cars, I remember about a year ago or so where someone sent me a note, and I saw several versions of the story, where some builder, just some guy on the internet builds cars, decided to build an Eleanor tribute car, and he got threatened with legal action. So procedurally, this story says that the battle is over. Because the Central District of California has finally and decisively placed Shelby in the driver's seat. Don't forget that appeals are always possible. They're always possible. But if I had to pick a winner on this one, I think this will stay this way. That is, I think that the Shelby people will always be allowed to uh, build and sell the cars um, that look a lot like the ones that he built and sold earlier in his career.
So there you go. But from businesswire.com, sent to me by a whole bunch of people. Shelby's legal battle over the Eleanor car is over and Shelby won. Questions or comments, put them below. Let's talk to you later. Bye-bye. Thank you for watching Lato's Law. Electricity is really just organized lightning.